welcome. You're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be your sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing tips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Welcome to another episode of Wine and Whiteboards. Today we're going to talk about webinars. Webinars can be a very effective way to reach your target audience, but there are a lot of them out there. So how do you make it the right channel for you? So with that, today we're going to talk about webinars on a whim and how you can quickly build and test webinars that are a viable part of your marketing strategy. Today we're going to share how we got started, our keys to success, and how to promote your webinar. Then we're going to dive into key takeaways and next steps. So before we do that, we're going to talk about wine because that's what we do. I am drinking a rosé from California. I'm not really sure the name of it, but my fun thing is I'm actually drinking the wine out of my wedding anniversary. It's coming up on the 5th. So it is the wine glass, I guess, from that day. So it's from the place that we got married. With our anniversary or with our wedding, we blended two bottles for our ceremony. You know, like how some people blend, uh, what is it, like, what, Kitty? Yeah, like some people blend sand. I was like, no, I'm going to blend wine. So I have two bottles of red that we mixed at the place, and then they corked them for us so we could have one at our one year and then another at our five year. So kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah. What else are you guys drinking? I'll go next. This is Katie. I'm 10 days away from my due date, so I'm still going strong with my alcohol-free wine by the brand Free, F-R-E. And today I'm doing the Sparkling Brunt. Like I said in the past few episodes, I've been pretty surprised or pleasantly surprised with how good these alcohol-removed wines are, but definitely right, or definitely waiting for a real glass once I can have one. (laughs) Do you have a countdown going? Oh, yeah. But, you know, nothing goes according to plan, so we'll see. (laughs) Katie, I was going to build off of that. This is Sarah, and today I'm drinking the Chateau Fontaine 2017 Riesling. My sister-in-law is pregnant and just had twins, and she's been waiting to drink this bottle since, I don't know, last year or maybe, and then she had it because we've all been, like, so excited and said how good it was, and then she had it and didn't like it, so (laughs) I hope that pregnancy didn't change your hormones, and I hope you still like everything you did like, or maybe you'll find something new that you liked, you like better. Was it something that she used to like, and now she doesn't like it? Yeah. But oh, she drinks gosh. it anyways. Like, she was drinking the wine from their wedding, and my brother was like, do you, do you even like that? And she was like, no. But she was still drinking it. She's, like, forcing herself to get back yeah, to normal. Yeah, I think maybe when you're deprived for so long, you don't, you just, like, drink well, it anyway. taste buds change when you have, like, pregnancy, too. Like, you don't like the same wines is really common, but foods is another thing. Mm. Oh, it is true. Like, you guys know I used to eat a banana with peanut butter or almond butter every single day for breakfast. And I have not had a single banana since, like, October. Is it because Sorry. it doesn't sound good? Like, it just... I'd rather have my bagel a day to keep the doctor away. <laughs> and then create your little bagel bird thing. Yes, for my birds. 
I will go next. This is Kelly. I am drinking a Traverse City wine. It's from Bry's Estate, and it's the Pinot Noir Riesling mix. Um, it's pretty delicious if you haven't had it. It's nice. It's lighter, but still got a little bit of the redness in it to it to make it nice. And it also can be chilled to have it on a hot day like it is today, which is disgusting. <laughs> it's the absolute best. Bry's Breeze, whatever you call it, is one of my favorites from Traverse City because of that um, Pinot Noir Riesling. And then you can do a frosé with it too, which is even more amazing with the 90 degree weather we've had. I haven't had the Bry's Estate. Was it Pinot Noir Riesling? Mm -hmm. I haven't had that. That sounds amazing. I will have to go try that one. Is that what you got for me for after the baby? Okay, that'll be my first one. Yeah, I did a for now with a alcohol-free wine and then a for later for Katie's baby shower gift. And the for later was the Pinot Noir Riesling because I knew it was going to be a, a favorite of hers post-baby. They're having a sale right now if you want. It's like $12 a bottle. And no if you order three, more, three or more, then it ships for a penny. So what? Okay. Well, I know what I'm doing after we're done recording today. Yep. I'm going to go share some of that. This is Charlotte, and I am drinking the Chateau Grand Travers Late Harvest Riesling. It's a lighter crisper wine again also good for uh this hot humid weather that we're having in michigan so so yeah it's nice and refreshing is anyone else like just over this weather though yes 100 percent. it's gross i went to get the mail out of our mailbox earlier and it felt like damp it's not raining but it's just so humid and nasty outside that like the papers felt damp Oh. It would be one thing if, like, I had a pool or I lived on a lake where it would be like, okay, I can deal with the seat because I'm just going to go and cool down. But I don't have either of those things, so I'm just kind of over it now. Yeah. I lived on the lake all last week for the 4th, and now I'm just like, why am I here? Why did I come back right now? i just stuck inside. Well, since we're stuck inside, I guess it's a good thing we're doing this and recording. So... Since we've all shared our wines, dive into how we got started. Because webinars actually have a little bit of a funny story behind them. Um, I don't know if everybody thought it was funny at the time. I'm sure Sarah and I probably felt some pain during the beginning of this process when we first started doing webinars. And Paige, I know you were right there alongside us for it. Some tears Um, may have been shed. Yeah, definitely a couple tears and maybe some frustration and anger and wanting to possibly make sure somebody else somebody left the company that we didn't want there at the time but he ended up being the best thing that happened to us so it was fine and this person that we're talking about is his name is Kyle and Kyle definitely became a mentor to us and he pushed us out of our comfort zones I guess that's a bit of an understatement So where we started was we weren't doing any webinars none whatsoever the previous team before us had started doing a couple webinars and they weren't super successful. So I think we had kind of written them off. And Kyle said, well, why aren't we doing webinars? And we said, well, we did them successful. Actually, we hadn't personally done them. The team prior to us had. So we said, we don't like we don't know where to start. And he basically was like, all right, well, we're going to host a webinar next Wednesday. And it was like Thursday of the week before. So, of course, we were like, uh, what? What do you mean we're going to host a webinar next Wednesday? There's no way. 
So I think that's probably where we had to jump into action and really just kind of dive in and figure it out. So I have a question. And we don't have to dive in really deep right now because I'm sure we'll cover it later. But what were you what were you guys feeling when you were like, we have three days to put a webinar together? I think my like, response was, oh, shit. Like, I didn't know where to start or what to do, right? I felt like this was back before we had a whole knowledge bank of resources. So we didn't even have any content. Um, I don't think we had a topic. We Kyle was going to be our host, so luckily we had that going for us. Occasionally, when I want to make myself feel better, I'll go back through our webinars from the previous years, like <laughs> webinars from probably, what, 2017? So that would be like <laughs> three years ago at this point. And I'll actually look through the decks because I'll think like, oh, there were really good nuggets in there and we can pull a like tip forward for one of our current webinars. And actually, there's nothing. Like, literally, there's nothing I can use. There's, like, I think we'll mention it later, but, like, a dinosaur image. And beyond that, I'm like, what? Like, I don't know what he talked about for, I don't know, at least a half hour. They weren't definitely weren't an hour in the beginning. Um, but there was a lot of fluff and not much content back then. We'll get into it later, but finding a really good host or presenter is pretty important. Kyle was very good at pulling things out of a hat. I don't know. Like, he would pull things out and be like, where did this come from? It was just so random, but it made sense at the time. And then trying to go back, like Sarah said, we don't know what the content was unless we actually listened to it because Kyle didn't have it on the presentation slide. Like we, we've started and we've kind of grown and we're getting better at it. And we, now we actually have some keys to success that we kind of want to share. Unless you guys have anything else for the story that you want to add in. Well, I think it's important to add just a little bit of context that this was at a point where we were entering a new market and we didn't really know anything about these people that we were trying to deliver a webinar to. So we were like, what information is going to be helpful to them? What are they interested in? What's important? Like, we literally had no idea. And so I think that's kind of what forced us to take the approach of, well, maybe we should try to just educate them on something and maybe we'll get lucky and they won't know it versus trying to sell anything or push anything because we definitely didn't feel like that was going to bring people in. So that's what we did. And thankfully, mixed with Kyle, we were able to bring to life a webinar that was probably only about a half an hour. It was pretty short. And it delivered and we had a what was it seven people Sarah was it seven or 11 I don't remember uh, I don't remember I looked this up for Katie because recently she started doing webinars in her market and I wanted to make her feel better and show her that we probably I think it was seven maybe and I think maybe she had 11 for one her first webinar so I was trying to show her that she was doing better already you told me that if I had double digits then I was doing good and I'm pretty sure I had like exactly like 11 <laughs> But didn't Kyle fudge the numbers too? Like he would say there was random people on the webinar that actually weren't there. It's definitely like a fake it till you make it moment. Oh my gosh. We can totally dive into that when we talk about finding your host because that was, I think, really important. And I think that was probably key to a lot of the success was it definitely had a peacock strategy where we probably looked like we were a lot bigger and more knowledgeable than we actually were at the time. Now, thankfully, fast forward to where we are now, we actually know the market. We actually know what people are inter interested in. And we've definitely honed our 
our audience and our content and what the whole process is. Um, so we definitely want to walk you through that and how that kind of evolved um, and what we did when Kyle left, because at one point in time, Kyle did leave and we were out a host and we were like, well, what do we do? Because we weren't at a point where any of us could replace him. So we had to seek somebody else, one of our partners to kind of fill in, uh, work with us to deliver webinars. And now we're at a point where we are delivering monthly webinars and we have really solid attendance. Like we constantly have repeat people. Our retention numbers are fantastic. We're constantly bringing in new people and people are constantly asking us too. I know Sarah gets a few emails a week from people who said, hey, do you have this recording? I wanted to watch this or I signed up and I didn't get it, even though we do send the recording and everything afterwards. Um, people definitely are looking for those resources and come to us for them. So that's awesome. This all started because someone pushed you out of your comfort zone and you took a chance and it ended up working out and you would have never known that this would be one of our biggest drivers for engagement had you not been pushed to test it. So hopefully we can share some of these keys to success that we have to make it a little bit easier for um, those of you listening that are looking to start a process like this of your own. Well, and I think it's important to highlight, like we were talking about the amount of people that you get on a webinar. If you get two or three, that's okay. If that's where you're starting, celebrate that because you can start to hone your content and you're just testing. And one of our first keys to success here is to test it. Go fast and use all of your current tools at your disposal. Don't go out and purchase some amazing webinar platform or some amazing marketing tools or backdrops or editors. Like, don't do that. Go fast, use Zoom or use some of these free video tools and just go for it. Use PowerPoint, Google presentation, whatever it is that you have, and just build something out and see how it goes. Um, use any type of marketing platform or just your email in general. Just send out promos and registration forms. Like, don't make anything fancy. And in the beginning, you don't have to spend a lot of time trying to make it perfect. Um, if you try to do that, you're going to kill yourself and you're probably never going to get it off the ground. I think that's even a lesson we've learned with this podcast, right? Like the buildup is there and we tried to, we just had to eventually jump in and start recording and doing it. And I think progressively, hopefully you'll see that we're getting better throughout the episodes and as we go. We've been but talking about starting this podcast for like, honestly, like a year and a half. And then eventually, I think it was when I got pregnant and we realized that I was going to be out on maternity leave. We were like, we need to launch this before Katie goes on maternity leave, like do or die. So well, I think that's a great point. Like you just have to do it. And well, I think did me to finish off the, the group. And that's when the podcast actually came to light. Maybe it was you do have the video editing skills. So maybe we were missing that part, like the <laughs> editing like piece. We weren't all quite there yet. I also think it was Charlotte. Um, this kind of ties back into our number one here. She went ahead and created some high-level overviews and agendas to help get us started. And that's how you need to get webinars started. You need to create that framework so you know where you're starting and where you're going to end. And then you have to know those key takeaways throughout so that you know what you want your attendees to get out of it. The worst thing you could do is create an outline or a webinar and then get to the end of it and be like, so what? And 
have people wonder what they were supposed to have retained or how they're supposed to move forward. So always make sure you're adding value and you're giving people those nuggets or those takeaways and next steps that they can walk away with. And to be fair, I literally built out that entire podcast outline over Christmas break. And I basically was like, here guys, review it. And like, these are the things we need to do. And these are the next steps. But it all came to life. And it's very much like a webinar. It will if you just build it out, jot it down on paper, you can definitely make it come to life. And I think one of the hardest things to do is choosing your topic, especially if you're trying to test it. Because I think there can be some fear there to say like, well, what if I pick the wrong topic and it tanks? Or what if this isn't what people are interested in? I mean, just like podcasts, you're going to have multiple episodes and multiple webinars. So just pick something, pick something small and digestible and focus on it. The best way to approach this is to probably identify some of the largest challenges that your target audience has and focus on those first. Because if you don't know your audience, it's definitely going to be harder. So start there and then start writing things down. Just jot down what are their biggest challenges, what are they struggling with, and what have you heard? And that can definitely give you your first two or three webinar content topic. The best advice I listened to on a podcast recently was saying that think 50 episodes or webinars down the road. Make sure that your content is able to be living that long so you can kind of dive into more specific things and then branch out from there. Because if you go overview on everything, you're going to run out of content and run out of ideas. So choose your topics that people are interested in, but also make it very specific and tailored so that they can take that and go to the next day with actionable steps. We've even realized that with our podcast, right? As we were going through this outline for the webinar, Katie called out a section that probably could be its own webinar topic or podcast topic, whatever we're doing. We're kind of interchanging webinars and podcasts here. But sometimes you'll want to cover just too much material and then you can't go in depth as you would like. And also, like Paige was saying, think 50 webinars deep um, or podcasts deep, like you just need to make sure that you're going to continuously have content. And sometimes that content will like show itself or break itself down as you create the outline. So you might not know everything that you're going to do in the future or all the future topics until you really get into it. And when you're thinking about the depth of your topic and how deep you want to go into it, I think the deeper you go, the more actionable your takeaways are going to be because they're going to be more specific. If you go broad, your takeaways are probably going to be more high level and not as actionable. You want to make sure that those takeaways are something that people implement or take action on tomorrow um, and give them something that they can, something tangible to grasp onto. So number three for um, our keys to success is repurpose and reuse. So you can do this when you're choosing your topic, if you aren't sure where to start. You don't have to start from scratch. If you've had a successful like speaking submission or a blog post, or even if you're not there yet, if you've had like a successful social media post with the most likes or engagements or comments or something like that, use that data to help you make a decision on what that topic can be. Anything you can pull metrics for engage success, I think is a good place to start for choosing those topics. Shameless plug, that talks about exactly what we address in our previous episode regarding content cycles. So if you haven't listened to that, definitely go listen to it because we dive into how to repurpose your content and reuse it so it has legs. 
So like Katie said, if you had successful content before, start there, create a webinar on it um, because you know it's already been somewhat successful. So it increases your chances for success here. And again, like how we were talking, be sure to break out multiple blog posts into multiple webinars. You don't need to cram a multi-blog post series into one webinar. Sometimes you need multiple blog posts to really beef up and fill out a webinar. But if you can, I would make it into smaller chunks. Um, it'll help it, your content go further. And it'll also help you go more in depth like we were talking. And one of my favorite things to do is have a speaking engagement transcribed. And you can take points from that transcription and pull them out to be the key takeaways in your webinar or even quotes or facts and things like that. Um, it just helps so that you don't have to start from ground zero. Really hoping that Rev.com is going to be our first sponsor since Sarah tends to mention them in every single episode. <laughs> yep. You hear that, Rev? <laughs> they have been a game changer. Hint, hint. So... To be fair, I use Descript right now. I love Rev, but since we don't have money coming in from this podcast yet, <laughs> um, I'm using something that's pretty cheap. We paid for like a year of it. It was like $99 broken down by five of us was like 20 bucks for the year. And it does a like auto transcription. So it's not a real person. It definitely doesn't always understand what we're saying, but it gets you to good enough um, until you can afford the big stuff. I was reading the transcription from one of our previous episodes, and there's definitely a few things that were not accurate. And I was like, I don't know what this is trying to say, but you could figure it out. And it was actually pretty humorous. So it's fine. And it works and it gets the job done. And I think Sarah's trying to coin the last episode saying it's the lazy girl's guide to content marketing. Um, is that right, guys? Yes. yes. Okay. So for you who haven't listened to that episode, we're just, I'm just going to walk through a really quick process of how to do this into a webinar. And so you're going to start with, ideally, you interview an expert in your field. Once you interview them, you're going to have that recording. We usually use Zoom or other platforms like Microsoft uh, Teams. That's what we're actually recording this on right now. And so you have that recording. You would send that to Rev, Descript, whatever, a auto transcription. And then you use that transcription to build your content. So you have everything in Word format and you can kind of break it out based on what you guys want to talk about. So it's a really nice process to follow. And yeah, we'll, we have the process built out in the last episode, but here's a little sneak peek. So now we can dive into number four and that is creating the outline. You're going to take that transcription and you're going to start in a Word document you will kind of break it out into sections ideally i wouldn't start jumping into the presentation quite yet you might not necessarily know exactly what you want to talk about until you break it out and we say do that before spending hours reiterating and reworking your flow that's kind of where you want to start and i'll kick it over to sarah i think she's kind of the expert on this she's our outline queen i usually take it over when it gets to the design portion it's important we do this with the podcast but to really break your outline into sections that's what keeps you organized i know when charlotte and i have worked on webinars and we haven't had clear defined sections or a flow down that's really is doing it's getting the flow down because once you get the flow you can and once you find a good flow that works for you you can just like rinse and repeat and keep using it so we've done webinars now for the last three years and we're finally to a place where I can kind of 
semi plug content into different spaces. And I know that we, you know, start out by talking about what our topic's going to be. We show the agenda, we talk about our hosts, and then we really dive into the meat of the content. And we break that normally into several sections on the three like main points that we want attendees to take away with it. So just make sure you're always thinking about the agenda and your main points to start. Otherwise, you're going to get a little lost along the way. It is painful. Actually, I'll just come right out and say it. It is painful if you don't have your flow down and you just start trying to plug things into a PowerPoint because all of a sudden things don't make sense. You're moving slides around. It's disjointed. And then you try to edit things and then it gets crazy and you lose sight of what you actually were trying to do. Like, it's literally a mess. Like, I could be, maybe it's just me or maybe it's just us, Sarah, but it's really painful. And I can think about hours that we spent reworking these things until we were like, oh, Let's just put it in a Word doc first and like walk through and make sure it makes sense. And then we just plug it into the PowerPoint. I like to call it like a Frankenstein. I feel like it's like all of a sudden it, it like gets morphed into what it did not start out to be. And you've got little pieces here and over there and everything's getting so non differently. And you're just like, we created a monster. Your agenda <laughs> will help you keep that thing in line. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I know we mentioned we keep saying flow. But Sarah said when we jump into the meat of the content after we introduce our topic, our hosts, and our agenda, we have a little bit of a process, and we also talk about that in our content episode, but really high level, we talk about an idea or a concept. So it's basically some sort of idea that we want people to latch onto or learn about. And then we provide some real world examples. So maybe there's a company or an organization that has taken that concept and brought it to life. And we want to share that story to show people the idea or concept in action. And then we highlight the takeaways and how do how would somebody walk away and what are their first steps to go implement something like this? We now have that uh, structure. And now that we have that, it has become so simple to plug things in. Because we know for every topic we want to do, we need to make sure that we cover the concept, find some examples and stories, and then we need to break out the takeaways. And it just makes it super simple. So for someone that's just starting out, I feel like one of my concerns was making sure that I had enough content to like fill a webinar time period. I feel like the sweet spot is somewhere between like a half hour and an hour. Would you guys say that a good rule of thumb is having like three examples or like three topics or do you try to aim to have like like minutes of content? I guess, I don't know, do you have a way to identify like when you have enough? I think it depends what your goal is because if your goal is to connect with people and educate and bring them together in more of like a collaborative conversational environment, it's probably going to be a longer session. But for example, Kelly does webinars on the training side that we've called micro moments because they're short. And the intent is for somebody to get in, learn something very specific, and then go on their merry way. So I think it depends. Other ones are definitely not micro moments. Those things can be over two hours long. Oh, the other training sessions? Yeah, yeah. No, not, not micro moments. Kelly, no. though, I think you guys have broken it out where you have a pretty high level topic. You'll explain what you're talking about, obviously, and then you'll break it out into examples because the examples are what people want to hear. And we try and find examples that are in our market. So we actually do that with our interviews. That's kind of where we find a lot of our examples that come into these webinars. 
because they're telling us real world stories. So other people and other organizations are going to be like, oh, I can learn from that and I can apply it to myself because someone actually did it. Katie, your question, when you start plugging, once you have your agenda, you can start plugging it into the PowerPoint. And I think that's where you can really understand better the flow and the timing of things. Because I'd love to say I have this like precise measurement But I do think you want more slides with the idea that you're going to run through them more quickly so that people don't get bored and you're not sitting on a slide for more than a minute. Like otherwise people's eyes start to wander. And depending on what software you're using, you can see the engagement and interactivity levels start to go down and people's, you know, it'll show that they're doing something else. Right. So you want to have more slides just so you can keep moving. And I'll kick it back over to Paige since she's our design wizard. But more slides. And I probably like you don't want if you're going to have at least potentially a minute per slide, I wouldn't do more slides than you have minutes. So if you're doing like a 60 minute presentation, I wouldn't have more than 60 slides. Otherwise, you're going to have too much content that you're trying to get through and you're just going to have to be flying. I mean, the idea is to keep things moving, but you also don't want to feel rushed because I think your attendees can feel that when you start to get a little anxious and when the time ticks up and you hit that like five minute mark and you're still on slide 30, but you have 30 more slides to go, like you're in trouble, which is why you should probably always practice ahead of time and then cut things if you've just got too much and potentially put them on a new episode or webinar or whatever. Right. And you want to let people um, have time for questions, too. I feel like there's nothing worse than like getting through even like at an in-person event. If someone goes through an entire presentation or whatever, and then you have a question, but you don't have time to ask it like that always sucks. I mean, I know that people can email in and things like that, but. I think that walked us right into number five, which is finding the right host, because all of these factors tie in directly with who is actually delivering the content because you need somebody who's going to number one be engaging if it doesn't matter how many slides you have and how long you spend on each slide if you have somebody who sits there and like drones on in a monotone right i think you'd find someone who's upbeat and can probably insert some of their own humor or quirkiness and makes it interesting and i think and Paige, maybe you want to elaborate on this if it makes sense but adding i know we do a lot of builds in our presentations so in areas where maybe so even within that minute of content they might be exposing new bullet points just so there's something new on the screen for people to look at you guys can't see my hands but i'm like moving my hands down in like a bulleted motion like everybody can see me but they need to be able to make it a conversation and bring those people in the the attendees into it versus it speaking like versus it being something where they're like talking at the audience because nobody wants to be talked at so i think when you combine the design and your structure and flow with the right host you can find the recipe for success yeah you guys are definitely making some great points um as far as the design and host that's kind of like what number five and six you have to have someone that's really ready to be quick on their feet because we we've done some fun themes in the past with our designs just to kind of get the audience engaged keep them kind of entertained as you will we've done dinosaur themes we've done unicorn themes i can't think of other ones we use a lot of memes gifts just to kind of keep people like there because your attention span will kind of drift so like they said try and break it out into bullets and use those fun themes maybe to keep people ready and reading your text 
also don't bombard people with text. A lot of the times you're not going to have paragraphs. Just keep it simple, keep it short. If you need your presenter to have context, put it in the notes section. They can refer back to it and then your, your actual audience aren't going to see that entire feed of text because they're there to listen and watch the slide, not necessarily read. So they want to be entertained and, but yeah, that's I think the best example that I can give um, when it comes over to me from Sarah and Charlotte is to build your slides and make it kind of fun and entertaining. Paige, to make it fun and entertaining, you also want someone who's not going to drone on forever. So like no matter how smart and knowledgeable they are, people will tune that out. I think it's important that you use the chat and poll features to get the audience engaged and participating. Love to like share the results on the screen and we kind of make it like a fun game as the results are coming in. We kind of make it like a little racehorse race where we're like, ooh, this one's in the lead and then this one's coming up behind. And just to show you some of your personality there, right? And then plus, depending on what your chat or your poll results are, that's something that others can take back and kind of compare themselves to others in their industry. I want to reiterate something that Paige had said about finding someone who's quick on their feet, because not only would that keep them entertaining and engaged, but if something goes wrong, you need somebody who's not going to freak out in the moment and not know what to do and keep everybody involved. I know when I do my webinars for my training purposes, our environment that we do these trainings in is not the greatest and things always go awry. I will tell you that I don't think I've done one training where everything's went smoothly through the whole thing, but you have to be able to think on your toes and just keep everybody moving. You can't just stop and be like, okay, I guess we're done. If nothing's gonna work here, like you still have to find something else to keep going and make the presentation keep going. No offense to Kyle, because obviously we loved him and he was that whole like kind of smoke and mirrors, fake it until you make it kind of thing. It's really important to have someone who knows the audience and the industry or the market you're in. We're lucky enough now that we joined up with our like industry partners and one of them leads our webinar as a host and she really knows what she's talking about. So everything she says, I know is valid checked and she has the actual experience to go along with it in the beginning you might not have that right but if you can find someone who knows the audience it's always going to make you 100 times 100 percent more legit from the beginning for sure and i think since you mentioned kyle i'll share his peacock strategy and kind of what he did in the beginning because like we said we only had seven people on this webinar and if people know that they're one of seven people on a webinar they might say, well, are these people legit? Is it, does this person know what they're talking about? Did I sign up for some sort of off the cuff, like weird thing that's not gonna help me or that nobody else has validated? And what he would do is, I don't know if he turned off the, he didn't turn off the chat. Maybe he did turn off the chat. But either way, when he was talking, he would say like, oh, we have a great question coming in here from Karen. We have a great, like, and here's the question. He If he wanted to dive into a specific topic or he thought of something that he wanted to address. So it definitely made it sound like there was tons of people engaging with the host on chat when really there wasn't. You can definitely try some of those things to kind of boost engagement or get people excited or get them to engage themselves because they may not want to type in a question unless they know that somebody else is typing in questions when really they might not be. It's a little strategy that you might be able to use early on just to encourage the people that you do have on the webinar, even if you only have five. So maybe a good takeaway there would be before you actually host your webinar, 
give yourself like a worst case scenario. If I get to the end and I ask if anyone has any questions and no one has any questions, maybe have two prepared or something ahead of time to um, at least have something to address at the end of it. I think that's a really good point, Katie. It's just always be prepared because you don't know what people are going to come up with or if you're going to get a bunch of duds that day or you just don't know. So definitely prepare for some of the worst case scenarios. I've had that happen when I was doing a training program with Kelly before. We had a webinar one time and I think there was like, I don't know, 20 people in the same room. So first of all, it was awkward because they were all under like one log on and then it was just me hosting the training. And then we got to the end of it. And I think like at the end of every section, I was like, are there any questions? Cricket. No. Okay. I'll move on to the next one. There were no questions the entire time. Like it was honestly like an hour long training one, which that's probably too long in the first place. Like we should probably know better than that. But I just remember how awkward it was. Like, that was the worst. I don't know. Kelly said some of her trainings definitely go if you get if you get people on there who are really engaged. I mean, you've had a couple go like two, two and a half hours because people just keep asking questions, which is insane. But I mean, you know, you're doing something right, I guess. If well, but then again, if they have questions, I don't know. I don't know. I think the people that I had (laughs) were forced to be there. I don't think they actually wanted to be there, which I think was the issue. Katie's was different. Mine are like, they sign up to kind of learn. And then at the end, they always write thank you or say thank you before they sign up. So at least that's a little bit of validation that they spent at least two hours with me and they still say thank you, not just like, peace out. I don't want to hear you anymore. (laughs) I do feel like, Kelly, that makes me realize that like Katie said, you should probably have a couple of questions ready to go for the cricket audience, right? Or as Charlotte called them duds, which was making me laugh that we were calling people duds, but sorry. <laughs> Anyways, but on Kelly's flip side, maybe you also need to have some like cues or things you say to kind of shut down questions or another format that you can take questions in after the webinar or whatever it is, just so you don't go two hours, hours because you do want to respect people's time a lot. Sometimes people are signing up for these and potentially attending them during the day when they have other work to do or they have meetings happening right after. So typically, I'd say you'd want to stay to the hour time frame or whatever time commitment you set at the beginning and then figure out how to funnel questions to you afterwards and respond to those more individually or maybe some kind of forum or something that continues after the webinar. People will respect you if you respect their time, I think. I totally agree with that. And I think it's time to dive into number seven, which could technically be the first item that you should do or the last item, but it's about sending surveys and getting feedback. So if you are in a spot at the very beginning when you're looking to host webinars where you might not know what topics to choose, there's nothing wrong with you sending out a survey and just saying like, hey, tell me what your biggest challenges are and what you would like to hear about or what problems you're trying to solve. And that can help inform you what you should host your first webinar on because it's always going to be better to have that market intelligence versus going into it blind. And then after you host your first webinar, definitely ask for feedback. Send out a survey, ask what they like, what you can improve on, what they didn't like, and definitely make sure you ask what what they thought went well and what they thought you did well because you want to be able to continue to do those things versus just focusing on the areas that you need to improve on. Oh, and something I just thought about that is also really important that you'll want to think 
is having someone on the sidelines working behind the scenes while you're hosting your webinar, kind of running the polls, answering questions in the chat. And because once you get attendees on there, or at least a significant number, you're not going to be able to keep up and remain engaged as a host. So having someone behind the scenes kind of doing all of that technical stuff and making sure they're managing the recording, managing tech questions and polls, it'll be really helpful and it'll help streamline your process, provide a better experience for your attendees. I'd say it's important to have those roles identified ahead of time. You can get away with two people having one person be the host and one person be the tech, but you could have up to a team of like three or four even because sometimes the chat, depending once you've gotten things going and how chatty people are, it's hard on my end to keep up with the tech in case there's any problems there, like people messaging you because they can't see something or do something. And then the chat is going and you're trying to catch the questions for the host. So I think there's definitely a few different roles because tech and even someone monitoring the chat or two people monitoring the chat could be broken out into separate roles once you get to that point. I know I've had a few oh shit tech moments right before the webinar. Like the last one we did, I had to transfer the host or the being the host to the person who is the host, which meant I didn't have all the controls that I normally do. And we're working from home because of COVID. So there's like none of my team around me for me to have a moment of just like, ah, and then the recording didn't go to the same place. So even if you've been doing it for years, there can still be all these glitches. Like Kelly said, I don't think we've probably ever had one that's like perfect and we probably never will. So you just kind of have to roll with it. And as long as you have that good host, they'll be able to roll with the punches and they'll be able to keep things going. <laughs> Wasn't there a funny moment where Sarah was the tech and uh. we had <laughs> Kyle running the webinar and she had to go to the bathroom. So she put it on lock and that completely turned the webinar off. Am I mistaken or was that? No, actually no that was really happened. It was horrible. It was like one of the worst, like, holy crap moments. Like, I was like, oh, the webinar's going. Everything's running smoothly. I'm just going to go get a drink of water. And I feel like IT has burned it in your head that you're never supposed to walk away from your computer without locking it. So without thinking, I just went, control lock. But that shut down the go to webinar, which is what we used back <laughs> in the day. Um, and it killed the webinar. It dropped everyone. Luckily, Kyle was screaming at me and I ran back and like got it back <laughs> online. And it had been not enough time that I think people were still sitting there like what happened so it just kind of repopulated but that wasn't a great one either yeah so I think that's a fun little sneak peek we might do a pitfalls episode after this to talk about our lessons learned and things that you can maybe take from our mistakes and not do for webinars so stay tuned for that one coming up well Paige didn't you say so Sarah's had like that stuff happen from like a tech standpoint didn't you say that like Kyle would also add in random slides after you already like designed the PowerPoint and then all of a sudden like a black and white just like plain text slide would be in the webinar and you're like where did that come from? Yeah we would literally finish the outline maybe 30 seconds before he would go on. I don't know how he managed to make up slides last minute. We'd be watching it being like, oh yeah, okay, the episode's going pretty good, feeling good. And then all of a sudden the slide comes up. I'm like, where the F did this come from? Like, just pissed off. My oh shit moment would be like, and now Sarah's gonna drop this link in the chat. And I'd be like, I didn't even have that slide to begin with. So I have no idea what link is. So I'm like sitting there on the back end, Googling whatever I think he's talking about and trying to find the link to drop it. That's fun times. I suggest so not that. <laughs> Yeah, I think teamwork makes the dream work is what we're getting at with the webinar. You need 
multiple roles, multiple people to kind of fill in because you can't just have the host there. They need the people in the back end to kind of make things run and smoothly, essentially, because things can go wrong. But I do think it's that. important. But I do think it's important to mention that if it's just you and you're starting out, like you can do it by yourself. You absolutely can. It might just be helpful if you can kind of recruit somebody to to back you up before you maybe start to grow it or because you will hit a point where it gets a little bit challenging without having that second person there. But you actually have to get people. Oh, we're going to go with Sarah. Oh, I was just going to say that it's okay to admit that you're just a one man show and to show your personality and be authentic and let people know that it's just you. So like, if you don't answer the question right away, you'll get to it. Or I don't know, just, I guess I'd rather, I know we said fake it till you make it, but also you can still be true to yourself and share what's really going on behind the scenes just so people are understanding. I totally agree with that. But I guess the real question is, how do you get people to your webinar? How do you promote it? Because if you don't have people attend, then what's the point in hosting a webinar? So the first thing we did, which luckily we had, was we did have marketing lists and we had our database. It was really just going through and segmenting the audience that we thought our topics would make sense for and then personalizing our outreach to hopefully get these people on a webinar and get them to register. If you don't have a list to start with, obviously at some point you can create a form that starts to collect a list, right? Based on if you have blog posts or resources or even just asking people if they want to be notified of your next event. Obviously you have to start somewhere. Didn't we get a lot of our lists in the beginning from like attending events? Like a lot of times like when you attend an event like for a trade show, is that where we started with a lot of our content? contacts? I would say yes. And I think that was definitely the original source of a lot of them. And then now I would say that a lot of our contacts have come from our actual webinars. Like it's a very big contact source for us. Unfortunately, we inherited a database, right? Which is good because you have people, bad because you might not have the right people and you don't know who the right people are. So we've spent a lot of time cleaning up the database and attending events And now starting to gather this like webinar following. But in the beginning, we had to email the people we had and put it out there that, you know, we're always looking for them to subscribe and get things in their inbox from us. So it might, I mean, your list might not be big in the beginning, right? Like you might have to really work on it or be emailing like your family and friends or things like that. And hopefully things will catch on. I think it's better to have a smaller list of good contacts than it is to have a huge database that you don't know if they're interested in your content. You don't know if they're still at the company. You don't know who they are or like what's happening. I would rather have a smaller list with good contacts than a huge database of people that I know nothing about. Oh, 100%. I think that's so much better. And I think until you start aggregating a list of good contacts, you can really use your existing channels and your partners. So if you have social media, like for us, LinkedIn is a huge channel for our business. So we make sure that we post all of our webinar registrations on LinkedIn. And if you have partners or other people that you've worked with or collaborated with before, send it to them and ask them to share it to their list because that's a great way for you to get in front of new people. And then once they register, you now have their contact information and then you can email them the registrations in the future. And if you do go down this route, which is a 
whole nother topic that we'll talk about on another episode. But if you have brought somebody else on to speak with you on the webinar, hopefully they have a list that they can promote to. And then if you have any uh, event or industry forums or uh, I guess communities, that's the word I'm looking for, communities, you can post it. They often have a or ask people to share what type of industry events or educational sessions are taking place, especially if they're free. Sure, I think it out for a second. I just wanted to point out that she said like an industry event calendar, if you didn't catch that. Thank you, Katie. While you're sending those promotions, it's important to make sure the topic that you're talking about is relevant to the roles you send to. It's worked better for us to have a personal email come from me than sending some kind of spammed email template that was just a bulleted list. Like I tried to make it personal and to sound like my voice and that I was inviting those people to come to a webinar that we were hosting. You just don't want to blast your promotions to everyone because that's a quick way to get everyone to unsubscribe and no longer want to receive your lists. And that doesn't hurt you just for that one email. It hurts you for all future emails as well. And so I was going to say, you can kiss whatever list you had goodbye at that point. Yes. Yeah, exactly. One of the last things about promoting your webinar, typically people will ask when we're on the actual webinar, if we're recording it, always make sure you're recording your webinar. I've occasionally forgotten to hit the record button and there's nothing that I hate more. So a lot of times I'll put a little sticky note on my computer that says, are you recording? Question mark. Now we have Zoom and a lot of times you can set it up to automatically start recording from the beginning, which is probably one of the most helpful features since you can always trim and cut the beginning stuff out. But make sure you share the recording, the chat and the slide deck with attendees and non-attendees afterwards. Typically, we create two separate emails so that we can more personalize and target it to say, oh, thanks for attending or sorry we missed you. And then include any additional like blog resources related to the topic or be sure to promote your next webinar event because the whole idea here is to build your community, as Charlotte was talking about, and grow your following. And then before we dive into our key takeaways from this episode and wrap up here, I really want to point out that this ties into that content cycle yet again, and I just want to plug it because once you have this uh, webinar recording, all of a sudden you might have an, an, a blog post or you might have headliner videos or content snippets. You might have social posts that highlight your specific takeaways. It's all about that repurposing and that recording is kind of a crucial part to the cycle. So we also, I know we've talked about transcription a lot, but we get the webinar recordings transcribed as well. Because sometimes we take blog posts and turn those into webinars. Sometimes we start with the webinar and turn that into a blog post. And it's easiest once you have the transcription to go ahead and create those. All right, so that brings us to the end of the episode. And we always wanna make sure we leave you with some good key takeaways. So you have some items to focus on leaving our episode. So to recap, Number one is test your topics and content fast. Fix what's not working and try something new again. So we learned that you just have to go for it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you gotta fake it till you make it, but test it fast. You won't know if it works unless you try it. Then next, number two, is finding an engaging webinar host or presenter. The person you have facilitating is super, super important. If you don't have someone that's engaging, then that isn't going to be the best experience for your audience, unfortunately. But start with what you have. If you don't feel like you're a super strong presenter, go for it. And then maybe you can find someone down the road. 
And if you don't have that presenter, it goes hand in hand with number one, you're going to hinder yourself because you're going to spend more time trying to build out your build out your content and make it perfect versus finding that perfect or not perfect host, but like that engaging host that can kind of think on their feet and doesn't need all that content spelled out for them that they can so that you can move quickly. Yeah. And number three, work smarter, not harder. This is where we talk about that content cycle. Repurpose and reuse the content you already have. So if you've had a successful blog post, social media post, or speaking submission at a conference, start there and see if that works well for your first episode or first few episodes. Then number four is provide takeaways and next steps. Just like we're doing right now, we always want to make sure we're leaving you with something you can walk away with and something that's important and adding value to all the time that we're so thankful that you spent with us today. Number five, don't forget to promote your webinar and send out the recording after to people who attended and people who did not. They will appreciate it. And number six is send a post-webinar survey. You always want to be open to feedback. Find out what you did well, if they liked your content, what you can do better for next time, and things like that. And you can also send a survey before your webinar if you aren't sure what kind of content people are looking for. So just to wrap up before we leave here, I just want to say give it a shot. Take a chance. Create a webinar. Send it to your list. If you don't have a list, promote it on the channels you have. You won't know if it's something that will work for you until you try. So give it a couple tries, see how it works out. And we would love to hear if anybody has some success stories. I know for a fact that none of us thought that webinars were going to be a consistent thing in our in our marketing. We were kind of pushed into it, maybe unwillingly at first. We got better as we went and we learned along the way. And now we've been able to tell you our lessons learned and things that you can do. So you will get better and it will come a lot easier as you try it. Like Charlotte said, try it. If it doesn't work, maybe it wasn't the right content or maybe it wasn't the right topic. Try something new. Just keep going. If it works for you, just, you know, I that's the only thing I can say is you can't really know if it's going to work until you try it. It's also never going to be perfect. Like we've been doing this for three years and I'm not going to lie that every webinar, which is monthly, basically at this point, I have a no shit moment and I have like some anxiety about it. And even though we've created this structure and this content flow and we have an awesome host, there's still work that has to be done and we're still learning and experimenting. And sometimes it's better than others, but you got to be open to trying something new. Totally agree. So with that, thank you so much for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. And until next time. Cheers. 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 Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whiteboards podcast. And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips. Cheers! Cheers.